Thank you for joining us on our journey here to preserve the history of mixed martial arts. When I wanted to take on this project, I needed help. I brought in one of my favorite matchmakers, Miguel Iterate, and the MMA detective, Mike Davis. So to do this, we've been able to preserve history. Welcome and enjoy. Hey folks, Miguel Iterate back here on the Lights Out Podcast. MMA detective Mike Davis off to the side here and joining us for another deep dive, UFC, current active UFC roster fighter, Jared Gordon. And uh, Lytle will be joining us. Chris Lytle will be joining us down the line here during the interview. Hopefully he gets free from some uh, BKFC responsibilities. So Mike, take it away. So Jared Gordon, current UFC fighter. Um, your story has got like a crazy path of a lot of twists and turns. Most people think when a fighter gets to the UFC, you know, everything was just kind of, I'm not going to say easy, but it's just kind of systematic. And the way you reached the finish line was probably different than anybody else on that entire UFC roster. So why don't we start from the beginning? Where did you grow up? A lot of street fights, things of that nature. Yeah, um, so I grew up in, for the first half of my life, in uh, Nassau County in Long Island, uh, New York. Um, I then later moved to Queens, New York. Uh, but um, I grew up in a nice nice area, man, really nice area, uh, wealthy, nor North Shore of Long Island. Um, my father is a business owner. He's not a white-collar, but he's, you know, blue-collar business, but uh, he did really well. Um, I lived in a big house. You know, we had a pool. My dad always had, like, three cars. You know, I never had to have a single thing. Uh, I was very fortunate and lucky. Um, that's not to say that there wasn't stuff that went on in that house, you know, that definitely affected me and things that I saw. Uh, but we happened to have money. Um, and I think... You know, I, my dad wouldn't come home a lot. And that was like the start of like how my life kind of, you know, went a little, started going like dark, you know. Um, he wouldn't come home. He was out all the time. He was alcoholic, a uh, big Coke user. Um, my mom, I had two brothers. So my mom, you know, she was like a Sicilian girl from Queens, New York. She married my father. She was 23. And, you know, she, she didn't have that college education. She, you know, she had nowhere to go. So she kind of had to stay with my dad, you know. Um, so what was she going to do? Pick up and leave with three boys, you know. Uh, yeah. And, you know, I used to always wonder, like, where is, where is my, where the fuck is my dad? How come he doesn't come home at night? And at first, you know, I would ask my mom and she would say, oh, he's working, he's business meetings. And then eventually it came to the point where it was just like, your father's out, get, he's a weight, he's a loser, he's a weight, you know. And I started realizing, all right, my dad you know, has a drinking problem um, and he doesn't come home at night for days at a time. So uh, how old are you when you kind of, when that all clicked with you? Six, seven, I started to realize. That's rough. Yeah. Um... And he did it for years, pretty consistently. 
uh, you know, he was cheating on my mom. He was out there doing whatever. But I used to get, like, curious. So my mom, I would always ask her, what is he doing? And she would say, he's out, he's driving around. And I would be like, what the fuck? What do you mean he's fucking driving around? He's driving around for fucking hours? It's like, so, like, I started to get curious. And when, when he would finally come home and go to sleep, I would go into his car and, like, look around, you know? Um, and cigarettes, and I would find like you know I was like six seven years old doing this. I would find like little like white dots all over the place on the steering wheel, like on the floor, you know, around the the cars, the, the you know the driver's seat, uh, and the cup holder and stuff. And I would like you know smell it, and I would taste it. My lips would get numb. Uh, and at first I was like, what is this stuff, you know? Um, and then like, I finally, like, I started finding like rocks, you know, like my dad, I guess was, you know, he would go out and then on his way home, he would be, you know, sniffing Coke. Uh, and yeah, I don't think he cared. <laughs> <laughs> Luckily he never got pulled over fucking guy. Um, or got caught, I should say. But, you know, as I got older, I started realizing, oh, that was cocaine this whole time. So, you know, I'm six, seven years old. I'm ingesting cocaine. That's incredible. Um, yeah, young, you know, like, like basically like almost infant, you know. <laughs> uh, and then, uh, so we sort of flew like me and my older brother. Well, we, only, we went for two years. And... Uh, one summer camp, one summer I went to camp and while I was there, you know, I always mention this, you know, at AA or when I share uh, at places because I know looking back at it now that it directly affected my life or completely affected my life and made me self-medicate and do the things, you know, that I ended up doing. Uh, but I was uh, sexually assaulted by a male counselor. Um, and how old were you at that time? I was like uh, eight years old, just about to turn nine. Full that, on, okay. Full on rape. Yeah, I can still remember the smells, the tastes. Uh, not to get too graphic, but the way I remember it, you know. Uh, you know, Jared. I, I think the one thing that an incident like an incident like that affects somebody is one, you put up like a, like a barrier later on in life, like in your, your teen years. But what you fail to do is you fail to realize that you are an eight year old child. You were innocent, defenseless, but you see yourself at 15 or 16 as that same person. And like, how could I, let that happen to me yeah and it's it's real difficult to kind of digest that you're a different person even though you're the same person when something like that takes place yeah and i was you know super confused i was like all right like did i do something wrong uh did, did you ever tell anybody about it eventually when i was 23 i wound up telling Jesus. so and i'll get to that uh yeah so, you know, I was like, my 
hey, you know, because of this, like, did I, you know, like, what's wrong? Is there something wrong with me? Uh, and, you know, I was confused. And then I remember, you know, I came home from, from camp that year. I didn't tell anyone. Um, you know, I was scared. And I remember, like, being in class that fall, you know, like, and they, I would be daydreaming about it. And the teachers used to be like, Jared, like, are you all right? And I'd be like, oh, yeah, you know, just thinking about the time I got raped. <laughs> now that I look, you know, I can laugh at it now, but, like, looking back at it, it was pretty fucking sick, you know? And, um... And then that's when everything just started to go downhill for me. Like I was just, you know, I didn't want to, I didn't, I didn't want to study. I didn't want to pay attention in class. I was acting out. Um, and I didn't give a fuck anymore, you know, hold on a second. Study. Can you lower it a little? Sorry, sorry. Uh, so I got older, you know, I started, you know, I, Time went by, and or did you start like drinking at an early age as well? Oh yeah, yeah. So within a couple of months after that assault, I was so I have an older brother, Dylan, who's also in recovery, um, and we had family friends who were like two, three years older than us. So they were like thirteen or twelve, thirteen, uh, maybe a little older, and they were smoking pot and stuff. Uh, and we used to hang out every day, you know, all of us. And naturally, I'm hanging out with them. I'm going to do the same thing, you know. So I started smoking pot. I was nine years old. <laughs> Drink. That's and, nuts. I know. Looking like I remember being that age and thinking like, oh, this is normal. And then now, like, looking back at it, I'm like, holy shit. Fucking nine years old. Like, what nine-year-old smokes pot? Jesus. Uh, and my parents were, you know, were potheads. So there was like, and my friends, kids that I grew up with were smoking pot. And like, there was pot everywhere for me at that age. By the time I was 11, I was smoking pot every day. Uh, and by the time I was 13, I had my first like encounter with cocaine. And I remember sniffing a line in the back of my friend's uh, Jeep Grand Cherokee. I had a lot of older friends in my life. There were terrible influences on me. And I remember sniffing it and thinking, oh, that's what that taste is from when I was a child, you know? And thinking like, oh yeah, I've already done this. Like, <laughs> And you know, at that age, I was I was influenced and like, I was, I don't like to glorify it, but you know, I was selling, you know, drugs, selling pots, selling Coke. Uh, and then, so that same year, my father's business, it burned down and killed a bunch of firemen in New, York, in New York city and injured like 60 guys. It was called the father's day fire. Um, it was like the, it was the deadliest fire in New York City history since 
and then 9-11 happened. That was 2001, and then 9-11 happened a couple months later. And Holy like, shit. And it took the cake. Um, but yeah, we, you know, my father's business was in Long Island City, which is right on the East River between Queens and Manhattan. Um, and I remember, you know, watching it burn down. We rushed into the city. It was Father's Day. It was a Sunday. My dad gets a call. Um, the store is on fire. We get there. The whole thing's exploded. People dead. People injured. And uh, I remember thinking, like, what the fuck? And my dad lost, like, millions of dollars. And we had to, we moved to Queens. That's when we moved to Queens to be closer because my dad was trying to rebuild the business and couldn't afford to live where we were living anymore. Um, so, like, my whole life flipped. Like, I went from living in the North Shore of Long Island, predominantly white. It was either you were Italian and I- or Irish, you know, a Catholic, Italian, Irish, or you were just like a, a Jew, <laughs> white Jews. <laughs> uh, rich wealthy people you know and then i moved to queens and also when i was running high school in across the street from queens bridge housing projects which is the largest house housing projects in the country you know so my whole world flipped it was a weird time in my life you know uh and i used it as a reason to like rebel like oh i don't want to move to fucking queens now, at this point, do you and your father kind of strike up a, a close relationship at all, or is it still? My, dad wrote, my, my dad's a man. He's still around. He's still my my parents never got divorced. He cleaned his act up. He just you know fucked around too much at one point. Um, but my dad, I fucking love my dad, and cool. we're, we've we've always been close. He's been close with me and all all my brothers. And my mother, too, like, she still loves them. <laughs> you know, they went through some tough times, but, um, you know, they got through it. Um, let, let, let me ask you, you know, you were doing drugs at a young age, and a lot of the times, your dad was partying, too, but a lot of the times, like, you know, like, a, a guy who parties comes down really hard when he catches his kid. They never caught you dabbling, or they just kind of blocked oh, it yeah. out? I mean, I was smoking pot with my parents when I was, like, 12 years old. Oh, ah, okay. All right. Okay, I get it. Yeah, we were all smoking. My whole family was fucking out, like potheads okay. or alcoholics. So everyone did drink and smoke together, you know? Okay. Um, yeah. I mean, it wasn't like I've actually done cocaine with my father. <laughs> oh my God. In my in Miami. Yeah, we were in Miami. My dad was like, hey, look what I got. I'm like, all right, well, mm-hmm. fucking break it out. Um, <laughs> Yeah, I've done it with the in-laws, not my parents, but the in-laws, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It's definitely not normal, but, you know, for us it was. Um, so anyways, I moved so when does it start kind of getting out of control for you? But wait, 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 hold on. When did fighting come in? Are you street fighting? Yeah. You know, while you're dealing? Are you yeah, like, known I'm, as a tough guy? Like, what's up with that? Yeah, I got into a lot of fights. I got my ass kicked probably more than I did when... Until I got older, I got beat up a lot. I would start fights with older guys. I would, I would get beat up. You know, weapons. I got stabbed at one point in like my neck. Um, not like too bad, but um, you know, I've been hit with all sorts of shit. 
I got scars all over my head, mostly from street fighting, not not from real fighting. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it was like a, it was what we did as kids. You know, we we fought the kids from the other schools. Like it's just what we did. You know, like oh, who the fuck are those kids? And we're at the park. Like all right, well, I guess we have to fight them. And you know, that's what we did. And like we prided ourselves in that. You know, we loved it. Uh, yeah. But that's what we did as kids from New York. Like everyone did it. And you know. People would be like, ah, fucking, what are you kids, what are you idiots doing, you know? And like, we never got in trouble really until, until we got older, things started to get a little more serious. Um, but, you know, at 13, 12, 13, 14, 15, like, we were just being kids. Uh, I did get arrested for a couple of assaults, though, as I got, I got older. Um, but, you know, and then we, it became more of like a, we were drug, we were, we sold a lot of drugs, me and my friends. And, you know, we were getting in trouble for, you know, possessions and, you know, we robbing people for their drugs and just like stupid shit. Like, you know, stupid kid shit, nothing like, nothing crazy. We sold a lot of pot. I sold a lot of pills, a lot of pain pills. You know, doctor shopping. I don't know if you got, you know, obviously, you know. Oh, yeah, of course. Yeah, that's uh, a. I mean, yeah, but you're talking oh. about a life of somebody that you know, usually ends up on the street. Oh, I did end up homeless eventually. Uh, I mean, so, you know, I thought, all right, so let me go back a little bit. When I was younger and I was, and I was going to high school before I was like a complete drug addict, I was, I was smoking pot doing other drugs but i wasn't i didn't find like my drug of choice which was which eventually became opiates um i i i get this feeling like in my gut i remember like taking the subway to school in queens and i would have my headphones on and i would be listening to like nas or 50 cent or some shit and and i should be thinking like i don't go to school like fucking hate school and I always used to have this feeling like there was something bigger for me. I, like I was going to do something bigger. And like, I knew it wasn't school. I knew I didn't want to go to college like the rest of America was doing, you know, you go to high school and then go to college and get a job. Like, And I'm like, at the time I was like, I, I know what, I know what I got to do. I got to sell like as, as much drugs as possible. And then like open a business or something. And I thought, you know, I thought like I would be like a drug kingpin and then, and I did well. Actually, I had a, I had made a lot of money and I had like, I remember I was like 20 years old or 19 years old and I had like $150,000 in cash. And I remember thinking like, yo, I'm never going to be poor again until I found opiates and I ended up losing, you know, spending all my money and, you know, I ended up homeless. I, I panhandled. Oh. I, I broke into houses. You know, I slept on the street. I slept in parks. I slept in my car. Uh, yeah, it's miserable. So how do you, when do you start training? So I graduated co- uh, high school. And I actually got into school, to, into college. I did apply for college. And I. 
I was going to go to a really good school for pharmacy. I was going to become a pharmacist. <laughs> It's good thinking, man. Good thinking. Yeah, so <laughs> and I and I actually worked at a pharmacy when I was like 16, 17. And at the time I'm I, you know, I used to steal like all the Xanax and all the pills. <laughs> and I used to think, yo, I'm gonna become a pharmacist and I'm gonna be fucking rich. Like I'm gonna fucking have all these drugs and do whatever I want. But when I graduated, it was it was summertime and I'm like, yo, I wanna and at the time the, the ultimate fighter was really big. It was 2007. Ultimate Fighter was huge. I was Frankie Edgar was my favorite fighter. I remember watching him fight Tyson Griffin in his first UFC fight. Yeah, it was and, a crazy fight. And thinking, holy shit, bro! If this little guy can do this, so could I. You know. And um, so I graduate high school. I'm 17, and I I walk. I come out of the subway one day and I look up and there's a gym called Combined Martial Arts, home of the Rhino Fight Team. Um, oh. It's actually an affiliate of where. And, and you know, just to kind of quantify, at this time, like around that that period, Rhino Fight Team had like 30, 35 like professional fighters. Like they were probably the biggest fight team in 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 that area. At one point. Yeah, that's where Frank Yeager started. That's where he started, yep. New Jersey, uh, Rhino fights. And there's one in Jersey, one in New York. But he used to come by the New York one. You know, they would cross-train, whatever. Uh, so I walked in there. I wrestled in boxes as a kid. My grandfather's a pro boxer, was a pro boxer. And I wrestled in middle school in Long Island. You know, wrestling's huge in Long Island. Uh, and you know, I loved fighting. I fought, I was fighting my whole teenage, you know, all my teenage years, even at, you know, just every day. That's what we did. We slap box each other. We were, so I had a knack for it, you know, and I went in there and I, I did my first jiu-jitsu class. I threw up everywhere after the class. because so I was exhausted <laughs> I thinking, holy shit, I love this. Um, Four months later, I had my first amateur fight. So your first amateur fight was Extreme Challenge Trial, September 15th, 2007. Is that a Monty Cox event, or is that a Combat in a Cage type event? Oh, a, I don't know. There was a guy, Jerry... Jerry something. He was the promoter for the, for the league. Okay. Okay. I, mean, I remember, I think Alec Quinta was the main event on that on that card. Yes. Yes. And you fought Julian Prisbilski. Uh, Pris, wow. Yeah. So weird. And he was out of Wilkie's Warriors, I believe. And he was 27. Yeah. Or 26. And you had four months of training. Four months of training. I was 17. And I whipped his ass. And I remember thinking, holy shit, I'm good. At, like, I like this and I'm good at it, you know? Well, you went to a decision. Did you... Were you throwing up? Were you cardio issues? Uh, or were you able to go I right felt through? Fine. I was tired, definitely. But uh but I won and I did great. And my parents were there, all my friends, you know, I had like fucking 60 guy people there. Everyone's throwing beers in the cage. We were in the Rahway Convention Center across the street from the Rahway Penitentiary, I remember. 
Wow. And, like, I remember, like, driving by and, like, seeing the jail and being like, where the fuck are we? Uh, and, you know, Rahway was a very blue-collar town, Rahway, New Jersey, you know? And, uh, you know, I fought under a, a basketball hoop in a gymnasium, you know? <laughs> That's cool. Yeah, that's where it starts, man. Yeah, and I remember thinking, like, you know, seeing all these the guys that were like ahead of me on the car that have been fighting, and like, ah, oh, they're so good. But now looking back at it, all these guys, everyone sucked. You know, it's 2007. If you were like a blue belt or a purple belt, no one wanted to fight you. I'm not fighting that guy. He's a fucking blue belt. <laughs> Now these amateurs are all brown belts and black belts. Dude, yeah. it's crazy with like seven, eight, nine years experience. Yeah. But it was like nine from then and now, man. It was like, you know, back then, 2000, no one even knew what cage, like people were just like, like, what the hell? You know, that's when people really said, oh, you do UFC. You know, well, here, did, did, did that fight, you're four months in. What kind of a high was it getting your hand raised? You know, I remember like having my rhino fight gear shit on, walking out, and we showed up with like six guys that were fighting. And I think we all won, or maybe one person lost. Uh, so we had a great night. And I pay, having my parents there, and my, my then girlfriend was there, and all my friends, the kids that I was grown up with, the kids that I've known since. I was a child, like, and then to win, and, you know, my mom was like, yo, you're fighting a 26-year-old, like, she's like, are you crazy? I was like, well, my mom was used to it, because her dad was a boxer, so they were just, And how old were you at the time? You said you were 18? I was 18. I just turned 18 that September. Oh, so you're fighting a grown man. That's a huge difference. And I was like, I was walking around, like, soaking wet, 145 pounds. Like, I didn't cut any. I remember waking up, I was a, pound, like, a half a pound over and being like, oh, my God, how am I going to make weight? <laughs> yeah. If my math isn't off, it was actually nine days after your birthday, you know, the fight. Yeah, so I just turned 18. <laughs> Holy shit. So uh, from there, you go December 15th, you're getting right back in there. So I'm assuming you're back in the gym. Real rising David Duncan. Yeah. And I, I was doing, I loved grappling. So I was like doing jiu-jitsu like nonstop. Like and you never day. wrestled in high school? No, I wrestled one year in junior high when I was in like fifth grade. And you didn't like it then, but you grew to love it later on. So. Yeah. I mean, no, I liked it. I just didn't give a fuck because I wanted to fuck around, you know, wrestling. <laughs> Hey, not to segue too much, but that year in 2007, I, I think the Abu Dhabi World Championships was in New Jersey. Did, you didn't happen to go to that show, did you? Uh, oh, okay. Yeah, Miguel had me driving the bus. Yeah, Mike, yeah. Mike, Mike and your promoter, Arius, were the bus drivers for the show. Yeah, Arius right? and I were the bus drivers. <laughs> that, that's and, like, his, I remember his... one time Arius tells me, no, man, I got to go do something. He, Dude, Arius, he got over on me. That's all I'm going to say. You know, I mean, I've gotten over it, I've gotten over it, but my feelings were hurt in 2007 by him. <laughs> so, so yeah, he, he's a good guy. He's a soldier. great guy. That's, that's why I want to great. bring up it, that I knew him from back then. So anyway, go ahead, Mike. So, so David Duncan, you win by rear naked choke in the first round. So you're, yeah. you're on a high from getting your hand raised. 
Oh yeah. Yeah. And um, you're are you a big ticket seller? I yeah, I was man. So I had like you know a bunch of people in the crowd. Everyone's there screaming. And were you able to stay sober around this time, or did you just no, kind of party no. and train? No, no, no. Like, so I, I had yet to find opiates, but I was still like, you know, smoking pot and drinking and okay, uh, you know, just like fucking around, other drugs, but not. And then eventually, I found heroin. Op- yeah, opiates. Yeah, heroin. Opiates. There, but. Painkillers, yeah. So you wait till April 12, 2008 to take your third fight, Ring of Combat Proving Grounds. Why the layoff? I don't know. <laughs> I mean, like, you're, you're, you're doing quick turnarounds. Well, like, you know, like, it kind of is right there. You fight Mike Morris? I remember this guy. Mike. Oh, yeah. I won that one, too, right? Yeah. You won my triangle. Dude, you're smoking people. Mm-hmm. I remember that one now, yeah. Okay. And then you have a real interesting run in November 26, 2008, New Breed Fighters 19, a title shot against a guy that would later become a trilogy with uh, Robert Lawless. Yeah, hysterical. I still talk to the kid. How funny is that? (laughs) Yeah, he's at a Dominique Urso's gym. He's actually a pretty tough guy. Went by Flawless. Flawless, flawless. Yeah, flawless, flawless. So Dude. walk us through that fight because this is something that, that is pretty important and pivotal in your life and, like, where you're at today. For sure. So uh, I'm winning the fight, and but I got cut. Like, I was, it was like, but, you know, it was amateur fighting in New Jersey, and they were, like, the – I don't know if you know Nick Lembo, but he created, of course, made the rules for UFC or for unified MMA combat, whatever. Uh, very serious commissioner, like nothing fucking got by him. I still talk to him today. Also, uh, help. He was a huge, played a, a lot of, played a pretty big role in my career actually. Um, but they didn't fuck around, you know, chin guards, seven ounce gloves. You know, lots of rules. If you got caught, they were stopping the fight. So I don't figure what round it was, it was in, but I got like a little, literally like a little baby caught above my eye and they stopped the fight. And okay. they called So it's your stop. first loss. How do you handle that? Well, you fucking, <laughs> this little baby fucking cut. Um, I was upset. I was upset. But, like, then I remember they were like, look, it was a cut, so let's do a rematch. Then I got my rematch. So that was March 7, 2009. Now, Urso's camp was a little upset. I think there was a slight weight issue on your end for that bout. What? Did you miss weight? I made weight for all those fights. Okay. Did you have to go back to the scale a second time? Man, how do you know all that? Hey, come on, bro. I'm the MMA detective, bro. Did I? Uh, did I? Is that what you found out? Did I make weight, though? I'm pretty you sure did. Make, I think you made weight, but 
I think there were some issues with the promoter. There was, I don't know. I know, I know they weren't happy. <laughs> I don't remember any of this. Honestly. Dude, I hear this is Jared. Here's the thing. We get a name and I researched the shit out of everybody. And I call everyone, like all of my contacts. We had Frankie Edgar on. He was doing the same thing. Like, what the fuck? You know, but it is what it is. You know, it's just like we try to walk through people's lives and kind of get a nitty gritty because where you're at today, you're a few fights away from a title shot. But what got you there is right. something that's kind of the foundation of what, what the house is built on. So this podcast, we concentrate on on how fighters got to where they're at. Okay. Yeah, yeah right. I think so- they, were, they were a little upset with you about the weight issue. You also won by, do you remember? Split, split, decision. split decision. So what was the talk like in the, uh, the locker room? Now, you lose one. He gives you a rematch, so he's pretty righteous about the situation. Yeah. Well, we had a tie. It was for a title, too, so we had a tiebreaker. That's excellent. That's excellent. Now, you're going from, you know, you're fighting the same guy three times, like right in a row. Like, you guys know each other. You know what I mean? Like, I always tell people, if you ever want to know something, like the, the, the best detectives, private investigators in the entire country is a fighter who's going to fight somebody else. You know, they get all over their, like, social media. You know, they're kind of in their head a little bit. They're, they're working out real hard. So you guys decide to fight a third time to settle the score. How big was this fight at that time? It was huge. And I remember all my friends were like, you got to win. You got, you know, like everyone was back. Like everyone wanted to come. I sold like a hundred something tickets. Um, were you guys, he, was there any bad yeah. blood between the two of you? I mean, it was like, kind of, it wasn't like we were like trying to fight each other, but you know, he would, we would be like grilling each other, you know, in the casino or if we so like, you know, or like, you know, at the weigh-ins, all you know, the rules meetings, you know, and he had a hundred something people also, you know, it's like New York, New York versus New Jersey. So it was a funny, it was funny, man, looking back at it, but my friends are animals, you know, throwing beers at their friends, like, you know, they were fighting in the crowd. Um, and you're the main event. Main event. I think it's the showboat. Were we in the showboat or the resorts? You know, and I, 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 I there's very little information about the third fight. But it was I knew cool. it was the same organization. I think. And it was like a pretty cool arena, man. Like it was like, you know, in a casino, it was decent. Um, uh, they were fighting in the crowd for sure. But I knew his weakness was his grappling. Um, but he was, no offense, Robbie, if you ever listen to this, I know we're friendly now, but he was juiced to the gills, dude. Like, mm-hmm. I, couldn't, I remember seeing him being like, what? like, how does he look like that? Like an action figure, you know? Looked like uh, Jean-Claude Van Damme in, like, Bloodsport. Just, like, fucking shred. And, you know, I'm, like, a young kid. I never looked like that ever in my life. You know what I mean? Like, I remember thinking, like, what? My, my dad would be like, you're insane. What are you doing? 
But I man, I, I think I I beat him fairly easily in that one, 30-27, right? Like that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You definitely won a decision, but yeah, he, he was he's one of those guys where, man, you miss a day or two of training. <laughs> so I was getting high though for this one. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I was taking painkillers at this point. Okay, how'd you run it? What how? How'd you make that jump? Did, were you hurt? They prescribed them to you? That's a lot of people's story. And my friends were, my friend was selling Vicodin. So he, I was at the bar and he was like, oh, you want one? I was like, all right. And then I remember like the following Friday, we're at the bar again. Hey, you got any more Vicodin? Yeah. All right, let me get three. And then I got, and I remember, and I remember making weight for that third fight. And I, you know, I couldn't put anything in my stomach because so I was like right on weight. But I remember I was I was already dope sick. I didn't, I wasn't feeling well because I didn't have any opiates. And I remember I made weight, man. I chugged a bunch of water and I chewed up like eight Vicodin right before the fight. And you know, the weigh-ins were like four hours before because it was amateur fighting. Like it wasn't the day before. So, you know, I remember taking the pills and I felt like a million bucks and I went in there and I won. Now, in yeah. Jersey, they'd piss test you, though. Were you uh, worried? I mean, they... Not, they, for, they, am they, not for amateur fighting. For, for pro fighting, they test you, yeah. Okay, okay, I realize Yeah, Nick Lembo yeah. doesn't play around. Yeah. Yeah, for the pro fighting, they did, but not for... I never got piss tested as an amateur. Okay, and then, and then just for the record, they, they'll probably collect urine from every fighter and test a handful of them, you know, so... You, you could get away with it that way. But I was just curious how, how that played out. Yeah, I mean, even if they did, I wouldn't give a fuck at that time. <laughs> I, I <understand>. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe they did, and I don't even remember. I don't know. Huh. But. So you beat Lawless, 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 October 3rd, 2009. Evan Chemilski, you win by Kimura. Yeah. I didn't even train so, for that fight. Remember that. You didn't? No, maybe like. The week before I got into the gym, and I remember the fight thinking, Holy shit, I'm gonna lose this fight. <laughs> Did your team have issues with you not training? Were they kind of were they being vocal about it? Like, I think they thought I had talent, and they're like, Oh, like they'll probably pull it off, or I don't remember really. Man, everything's so fuzzy looking back at it all. Like, I'm sure, like, my jiu jitsu coach who who's who had like a my first just coach, Steve Williams, uh, who I'm still close with him, great guy. Uh, I'm sure he was upset that I wasn't in the gym constantly, but I think he thought that I was good enough to win. So, yeah, a lot of times they'll come in and they, they'll say, "No, man, you can't represent the gym," or so they try to put you know, turn a little heat up on a fighter. Not our gym. Yeah, we're, so you took we're you took right. you took fourteen months off after that, and then December four two thousand ten, you fought uh, Team Vendetta's uh, Robert Fabrizi. I remember him. Yeah, Bobby Fabrizi. So the fight was at one sixty. I lost. Yeah, and you had to move up for you moved up. Yeah, and wait for that because you were having issues making forty five. At that point, well, I wasn't even training. I remember the day of the fight; I was 
sniffing Oxcon and Coke. Day of the fight. Holy shit. Yeah. Fuck. Then, at that point, I lost a split decision, I think. Right? Yeah, you, you lost guys, a split decision. Yeah. You know, not, not to... You kind of went off the... You, you went from one Vicodin to three to eight, and then you're storing Oxy and Coke together. It's like, you know, you're you're experimenting pretty hardcore there. <laughs> aggressive disease, right? Like, yeah. Yeah. You know, yes. four Vicodin a day wasn't working anymore. So I found... I found Oxycontin, and I was way stronger, obviously. Um, but I loved to, like, I wasn't shooting drugs yet, but I loved cocaine and opiates, or ecstasy and opiates. That was, like, another thing I did a lot, too. But, yeah, I was definitely experimenting. I wouldn't even call it experimenting at this point. I was doing drugs. Yeah. I, I was, you know? Yeah, you were being self-destructive. Yeah, you were being self-destructive. Yeah, you got people in the gym, all of them believe that you've got talent to go somewhere. And uh, I don't think you see the value in that like they did no. at that time. What what year was that, the Fabrizi fight? The Fabrizi fight was 2010. 2010. And you had so, 14 months off. I, I wasn't sure if you had a that, stint or something that like I, that. My best friend died of a drug overdose. October... 10th 2010 no october he died october 12 2010 and i went on a after that and for some reason i took this fight and i lost so you're a big ticket seller you got a lot of support you know if you're selling drugs you know most of your clients are probably going to watch um yeah yeah. so did you ever mess up your ticket money? No. That's wild. That's wild. Well, I always I had money at the time. So maybe I spent something, but I was able to make up for it. You know, what's crazy is for Robert Fabrizi's sister, I think Devin handles the tickets for the CFFC, and that's the next organization you're fighting at. Yeah, me and Devin are really close. He fought uh, Anthony D'Augustino, February yeah. 5th, 2011, and CFFC. I mean, they they're doing a phenomenal job. They really are, man. Yeah, they're great. That was CFFC returns. Yeah, they, that was their first event that they had uh, took taken over the organization. Yeah, so yeah, let's, and, let's, and they've done a great job with it. Yeah, it's grown uh, a lot, but even back then, it was a nice like regional show. And you're making yeah. your pro debut on there. Is that, you know, how's the management of that work out? Is it because you, you, you're you with a crew of known people still or oh. who's doing your management? So at that point, I was like, all right, I got to like, I got to get out of Queens. I met this kid. I'm sure you, you probably remember him, Anthony Leone. Okay. Formed WEC, formed Strikeforce. And I met him. I had switched gyms. I was training at a gym called New York Jitsu in Lower Manhattan. He was the coach there. And he was like, why don't you come up to Bomb Squad in Ithaca, New York? And, you know, you could, like, get sober. So I went up there and I just kicked cold turkey. Oh. It was very miserable. 
but I did it. I was sober for like six weeks. I, I was up in Ithaca training. You know, was this was before this guy, fight or after? This was before the Morrison fight. Over the D'Agostino fight, I mean. Okay, yeah, yeah. Okay. The Anthony so you got six weeks sober. Wow. Six weeks sober, but there was like, you know, I my my training game was elevated because I was training with like guys. Algerine Sterling was there at one point. Uh, John Jones started there. Yes. Leone was there. Uh, Kenny Foster. Christian Warcraft was there. He was in UFC. Uh, there was Warcraft, a bunch of guys. the heavyweight. Yeah. yeah. There was a bunch of guys there. Uh, and I got good training, and I was sober for six months. So I went – I took the fight on four-day notice. I remember the coach, Ryan Ciotoli, was like, hey, you want to fight? One of, one of our guys pulled out. You want to take the fight? And I was like, all right. And I remember I drove from Ithaca, New York to Queens. I slept in my parents' house. My brother, my older brother, just got kicked out of the house. He was shooting dope. My parents were, my parents were distraught. I remember super snow. It was, there was snow everywhere. And then, like, a uh, couple days later, I drove down to AC, and I, or, like, that next night, I drove down to AC, and I fought. It's crazy. Yeah. <laughs> and I won by rear naked. I dropped Anthony in the second round, and I won by rear naked. And then I relapsed that night in the casino. I remember thinking, like, oh, shit, I won. Time to celebrate. And I remember sniffing a bunch of... Uh, Opanas. I don't know if you know what those are. It's like a heavy duty type of opiate for like, you know, cancer patients and shit. Oh, oh yes. There's Opana. tons of overdoses associated with that. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And uh, yeah. I remember like the next morning I sniffed one and, you know, I had no tolerance anymore. And I remember I was throwing up everywhere. And that was it. I, I went right back to. Uh, and I, I went to I ended up going to rehab like did not that you, long after that. You never went back up to Ithaca? No, I never went back. I hated it up there. Fucking freezing cold in the middle of nowhere. And I was like, fuck this place. <laughs> so you you know, I mean an intrepid, you know. There is colleges up there, like Cornell is there, and Ithaca. You could get drugs up there if you had to. Did you try? I needed to sell drugs to make money, so I had to go back to Queens. I got it. Okay, that makes sense. And there, so well after the D'Agostino fight, you take two years off. Yeah. Were you just running wild, or were you? No. I, I ended up going to rehab like not too long after that. <clears throat> I met some people in the rehab. We left and they showed me how to shoot dope. That's when I started shooting. That's a, yeah, that's an upgrade. I, or, a, you know, a, 
you've crossed another line there. Quick. Yeah, it's yeah. a death sentence, dude. Yeah, and for most people. Yeah, so I went to. I ended up coming back home. My parents were like, "Look, if you're not sober, you can't be here." Now, who introduced you to heroin? Like shooting it. Um, these kids that I met in that rehab showed me how to shoot drugs, but I wasn't doing heroin. Yet. I was just show, I was just shooting pills at the point. At yeah, I was point. gonna add you crushing up, or are you shooting street heroin at some point? Well, at this point, I was still shooting pills. You crush okay. the pill. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It, you know, cool, cook it, and then shoot it. But eventually, I found heroin. Uh, but that was like a little later. The first, forget. <laughs> I don't really fucking remember. Um, but I ended up coming home. Florida. I was down here, down there for a while. Ended up coming home. My parents were like, "Look, you can't stay here unless you're sober." So, and what were you doing in Florida? Getting high. Okay, you were just kind of partying. You weren't training. Okay. Okay. Yeah. But I did find black zillions at that point. Okay, so you were training with the Black Zillions when you were yeah, down but like I was well. barely, I was barely there. I was in and out. I would come in, I would train a little, and then I would leave. And that's it was at Imperial Athletics. This is when it first started, and that was like when Rashad Evans won the title and Bigfoot Silva was there. I think Gillard was there at that point Gillard too. Gillard was there. Um. Anthony Johnson was there. Uh, Michael Johnson was there. That's a that's a crazy room. One of the coaches was uh, what the fuck was his name? Mike Van Arsdale was one of the coaches. Wow. <laughs> Henry was there. Tywin Spong was there. Uh, wow. There was uh, Boos Capé. I don't know if you know. Remember him, Brazilian guy. He's yeah, from- of course. Luis Firmino. Yeah, Luis Firmino. There was uh, Fabio Mello was there. Well, uh, here, that, that, that's a hell of a room. I mean, you're naming just all-star after all-star. Yeah. At any point, did they try to pull you aside and maybe tell you that you should probably take this no, serious? No, no, no. They didn't care. <laughs> yeah, I think yeah, they, yeah, it doesn't look like a lot, a real supportive room either there. Oh, it wasn't. <laughs> I can't pick. I... I I booked Bigfoot Silva one time. I can't picture, you know, him being very, you know, uh, open, he, open uh, conversation. <laughs> yeah, he wasn't ready to help me. <laughs> there you go. Uh, so I eventually came home because I had, like, nothing going on, and I wasn't – wait a minute. I think I'm going – so wait Did you ever get arrested in Florida? Sorry, 2011 or 2012. I forget what year it was. I got arrested for a home revision robbery, felony battery. Okay. I, was facing, I was facing 25 to life. And this was at this point? This was at this point, yeah. Oh, God. So I stayed in, I was in the maximum security holding cell, or maximum security holding building. And um, 
I had no bond. But I you had no up. bond? I had no bond. But I lawyered up. Luckily, my dad was like, I got in front of my dad. My dad was like, look, this is the w- one time that I'm going to help you. After this, you're on your own. So he helped me. He got me a lawyer. The lawyer got that the bond knocked down to 150k. So 15 to walk. 15 to walk. Okay, that's 10 percent. Uh, yeah, 10 percent to walk. So they let me walk that night. Have my first did your parents? Did your parents? Did they put their house up or did they put it on a credit card? They were gonna put it on a lien. They put a lien on the house. Okay. But that was they actually never did. <laughs> I found out later. They were like, my dad was like, "Hey, can you call the bails bondsman and see, like, to make sure the liens off the house?" So I called, and they're like, "Oh, we never put one on your house. We just said that we were going to just to scare you." <laughs> I was like, "All right." So. The night that I, yeah, the night that I got out, I overdosed. I had my first overdose in the hot in the Hard Rock Casino parking lot in Hollywood, Florida. So the night you got out, you had your first overdose. Had my first. I shot heroin. The first oh. time I, it was the first time I ever did heroin. Had my first overdose. So, but you know, not to get, and if you don't want to, but how? Do you get out of jail? Like they leave, you know, you get your wallet back, maybe a watch. I walk, walk right out. out. The- you go to a bar, maybe and say, I'm going to have a beer. And then for now, the wheels come off and you're shooting heroin. I was so dope sick. I remember. And oh, okay. I remember thinking I got a good high. So I, I went, I got my car. Right. And. I remember I'm driving, I'm speeding up Federal Highway to meet my dealer. And I get pulled over by a cop. I just got out. And I uh, have no license. I have no registration, no insurance. The cop's like, license and registration. I'm like, officer. I have to tell you something. He's like, what? And I was like, I just got out on bond last night for a home invasion robbery felony battery. I don't have a license or, or anything. And I had a crack pipe in my fucking glove compartment, I remember. And he's like, are you serious? <laughs> I remember. He's like, are you joking me? Are you serious? I'm like, yeah. He goes, all right. I'll be right back. Stay in the car. So I'm fucking sweating both. I'm like, holy shit, I'm about to get my bond revoked. Wow, the best thing was you were honest with them. I mean, that's I'm really the back. best. Yeah, I'm going back to jail. To jail. Yeah, the best thing you did was be honest with them. I mean, that's the only way they're going to cut your break at that point. So, so I, uh, <laughs> the, the cop comes back. He's like, all right, this is what I'm going to do for you. I'm going to let you go, but I'm taking your car. But I'm taking your car. You have to leave from here. I'm going to your car. So 
I, I'm like, okay, no problem. But I was like a couple of blocks away from my dealer's house. I didn't give a fuck about my car, nothing. I said, take it. So I run. I'm, I'm literally running. I'm so sick. I'm running to the guy's house. I finally get there. And I overdose. <laughs> oh, wait. I'm sorry. I got high. I met my friend like a couple hours later at the Hollywood Casino parking lot. And it was crazy. It's amazing. So the next day, I remember my my dad was like, I was like, Dad, I got my car impounded. And he was like, what do you mean? How? I was like, oh, I got pulled over and I didn't have a license. He's like, are you fucking joking me? Like, you know, he just bonded me out of jail. And uh, he's like, I'm like, it's over here. It's only like 150 bucks to get it out. Okay, go get it. So I go get it. And I remember when I got in the car, the cop must have searched my car. And he put the crack pipe and the stent, like all this stuff, right on the, the center console. Just to say, like, yeah, good job, dick. Like, <laughs> fucking moron. And I remember, like, thinking, holy shit. <sighs> um, so I'm running around down there. It put me on, like, it put me on a, a nighttime, like, a rest. So how'd they pick you up, like, when they first picked you up? Oh, so... They picked him up off the Hard Rock Casino floor. <laughs> no, no, prior to that. You're right. Oh, when I got <laughs> with their hands. <laughs> I robbed this drug dealer. So he let me into his house. I was with my friend Mark, who I still hang out with. I went to high school with this kid, Mark. Um, and I, I choked the kid unconscious and I robbed him of his drugs and his money. But we made a lot of noise in the process. I jumped on his back, like from like uh, he faced away from me, and I jumped on his back. I put him in a rear naked, and he fell backwards. And we hit the door frame, and the whole door frame cracked. We made a shit ton of noise. Then we we run out of his house. We get in my car. My friend's driving. He puts the turns the ignition ignition on. And he's flooring it out of the driveway. And the kid hops out from behind the hedges and we run him over. (laughs) And the neighbors heard all the commotion and they called the cops. Unbelievable. (laughs) Unbelievable. I'm I'm not sure, but that I think is what they call unmanageable, right? It's (laughs) definitely manageable. (laughs) So I'm like, hold up and up. A whole t- in a motel, you know, I robbed the kid for like it was like nothing, like twelve hundred dollars and like uh like a bunch of pills. So I go to a motel. I'm like, oh, I'm good. Like I'll stay here for now. And I'm getting calls from blocked numbers. Like the next morning, and I'm like, oh, I don't want to answer this. I'm thinking it's the kid or who knows. And I'm and they're. And, you know, they left the voicemail. It was, a, it was a cop. And they're like, listen, Jared, like, we know who you are. Turn yourself in. Blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, I'm freaking out. I'm like, I'm not turning myself in. 
So, um, three days later, I'm in the gym wrestling with Michael Johnson. Shot Evans just won the title. Anthony Johnson was there. I remember Melvin Gillard, a bunch of other guys. Henry Hooft is there. And I'm wrestling with Mike, and he's, he stands up, and he's, like, looking. And I'm like, what the fuck is he looking at? I turn around, and the cops are on the mat with their shoes on. And they're like, are you Jared Gordon? And I'm like, yeah, they're, you're under arrest. Home of his robbery, felony battery. I was like, uh, and I remember Henry was like, "The fuck? What did you do?" And I was like, "Uh, uh parking warrants." I don't even know what I said. Like some, sh- <laughs> and they brought me to jail. Whatever. I got out, and the whole thing happened. Uh, oh my god! Have you seen those guys since then? Any of them? Oh, Henry. I mean, obviously, you were. Yeah, he's my coach. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, obviously Henry, but what about some of the other fighters like Michael Johnson? Yeah, Mike, or... I see Mike, like every day, I see Anthony. Um, I see Tyrone. I see Melvin Gillard's not there, obviously, but yeah, um... a lot of those guys like Anthony's had his share of you know yeah. news news items and stuff. Like those are real dudes, you know. I mean, they know they'll probably just leave you alone. Yeah, they all have. They all have. Yeah. Wow! 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 So you have that crazy period of your life. Yeah. Two years after your last fight, you're finally back in the ring. So how do you turn the ship around? Because on February 2nd, 2013. I went, a, I went, a, I went away for a long time. Yeah. I went to one rehab. I got kicked out. Then I went to this place in Jamaica, Queens, like a crisis center. I was there for like a month. I came out started getting high again and finally my my brother's sponsor aa sponsor my brother sober at this point was like look jared needs long-term treatment so i went away for six months to a therapeutic community in uh upstate new york it's called samaritan mills real fucking bloodbath uh and i got I, i was sober I got sober. That's good. And that's, that's, yeah, that's, I think that's what you need because man, you know, once you're into needles and stuff, you're, you know, you're in a point where you're very lucky your body didn't deteriorate or, you know, you didn't start to really have like that. You're an athlete, some natural gifts and stuff because that shit could take you down quick. Yeah. I was still young and relatively healthy. So I guess I was like able to, you know, not die. <laughs> the thing, Jared, I think the most important thing, like anybody that's, you just don't go to rehab and you get sober. It just it doesn't work that way. Like no. you've got to have brutal honesty. And the way you started this podcast, the way you said, hey, this is what I dealt with. The minute they came out of your mouth, I go, man, dude, sober. Yeah. You know, when you're that brutally honest, you know, no matter how painful it might be, it's the only, it's like going to the gym. If you go there and you kind of mess around with the small weights, you can't expect big gains. Like you, you got to go in there and be brutally honest. Yeah. So after two years away, you knock out Robert Fabrizi in the second round. Did you feel vindicated at that point? Yeah, I was, uh, 
remember I came out of treatment and I was like, yo, I want to fight with that kid. I I know I'm better than him. So I kept asking him, <clears throat> Rob Haydeck, owner of, of CFSC, fight for Breezy. Not knowing that Devin is his sister. She works for CFSC. <laughs> all this stuff. And I meet my I started training at Henzo's, Gracie's, Manhattan. You were teaching I, there for a while as well. No, I was teaching at Church Street Boxing. Church Street Boxing? Okay. okay. But I met Trout, who I'm still with, who was the head coach at Church Street Boxing at the time. And Jason is, like, really who changed my life, my, my, my fight life. Like he really elevated my career big time. Changed me, like, really helped me a lot. And he's still with us. He's He works at Sanford now, and he's, like, one of my best friends. It's crazy. That's super cool. He used to train at Duke Rufus's as a kid. He he cornered Duke in a lot of fights. He's been around for a while, uh, Jason. And, you know, a lot of people have won some prominent, some prominent fights under him. Some Bellator champions. Yeah, you were you were with Rufus from 2018 to 2019. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, I was there for a little while. Didn't really All like right. it. Yeah, I heard it's well. Yeah. So we've got a uh, you've got like an interesting footnote on your record. It's kind of difficult to explain. I, I think it may be an error. Um, Duele de Gigantes, June 2nd, 2013. All right, yeah. so you fight a tournament in Mexico. And it's listed, it's like once a month that you're there, but was that tournament all in one night? No, it was, it was, it was once, it was one fight every week. It was one a week, so did you just stay down there? Stay down there for a month. Now, that's not really good for recovering, you know, <laughs> you know, Mexico can be dangerous for someone in recovery. How how'd you hang out oh, there for a oh, I, was with, I was with like a, a group of people, fighters. I was with some friends from New York that were also fighting on the show. Um, and they had us in like a a facility, like a like a fight facility, like up in the mountains. So there was no like I could have drank alcohol, I guess, but there's no what, way. What city was this in? Was it Mexico? Was it outside of Mexico oh, City? It was a place in a couple different cities. Some of it was in Mexico City. We fought in this place called Zampango, in the middle of nowhere. There was another place. Uh, I forget what it was called. Something. Some, some other place between Mexico City. And it was fucking insane, dude. Oh, okay, so who's the promoter? Is it Master Victor Vila? No, her name was... Oh, I forget her name. name. And how did you hook up with this? I just got asked by my friend, like, hey, you want to do this? They just asked me if I want to come down. I'm like, what did they pay? The grand prize was 100000 100000 but pesos? $100,000. Oh, okay, let me tell you something. The reason I went was because the first season winner was Brian Foster. Okay. And I called Brian Foster... Or I got in touch with Brian Foster somehow. I forget how. And I asked him, hey, did you get paid? And he was like, yeah, I got paid 
a week a week after I won, I got the money. So, okay. So Jared, I'm going to tell you that I'm really glad you were sober at this point because any little shenanigans with an organization shelling out $100,000 in Mexico, it could have went sideways really quick. Hmm. Well, you mean like as if with with that money, you mean? Oh, we, oh yeah. I mean, I've been to a few events in Mexico. Yeah. And yeah. It's... They never paid me, though, so. They never paid you? No. You got yeah. to start to get that feeling. You knew that already. I, I, you, it's a freaking podcast, bro. I got to try to build suspense, Jared. <laughs> oh, let me do it again. They never oh, paid you? Okay, go uh, ahead. <laughs> yeah, that was heartbreaking. It was well, wild. Did they pay you per fight up until this point, or were you just going out of pocket? They gave us like $350 a week to be there. They paid for our tickets and stuff to come down. They pay for our food and for our, you know, stay, but they never pay us me the grand prize. Okay, so Alvaro Enriquez from Wall Kick Muay Thai goes by Chino. You know, it's your first fight in a different country. Are yeah. you a little nervous going into this? I was a little nervous, but I knew that there's no way that he could have been better than me, you know? Possible. We're down there with uh, Mervin Rodriguez and Mike Prokop. Yeah. All those guys, Mike. I've been friends with Mike for a long time, man. and Mervin at this point. But okay, so you guys were all cornering each other. I'm Mike assuming. was my teammate in Rhino Fight Team. Okay, and Kenny Rivera also was down there. He was a teammate also. Okay, so you got you three on the you got you got you four on the card. You beat in uh, Elvaro Enriquez, you know, knockout second round. Um, a week later, you're at Oscar. Uh, was it Oscar De La, De La Parra? Yeah. How was that fight going? Were you concerned about some hometown cooking as well if it went to a decision? Well, Oscar was from Texas. But he was Mexican. But he was on Team America. Oh, okay. Okay. So, like, the first... I forget how many Mexicans or how many Americans won the first round. Um, so I fought Alvaro, then I fought Oscar. I, I beat Oscar up pretty good. He kind of just ta he tapped the strikes actually. Okay, yeah, it's a knockout there round. Yeah, and and then uh, you pull into you know, a week later, June 15, 2003. Uh, Luis Gustavo Felix de Santos, he's from Rhode Island, he's on Team America also. Super okay. He's not even, he's not Mexican, he's Dominican, he's from Rhode Island. <laughs> so they got all the Americans on one side, all the Mexicans on the other side, correct? Yeah. Correct. So then you guys, you walk into the finals, June 22nd, 2013, are you pretty beat up right now? Yeah, I hurt my shoulder, I actually had to have surgery after that, labrum repair, and I broke like a bone in my foot. My foot was purple. Like going into the fight? Yeah, going into the fight. I had to tape my ankles up and my feet up. Holy shit. So Alejandro Roman, he goes by Uruguay. He's from Scrap Pack, Mexico. The only thing I can really find on him is that he was like six and two. I found a couple of fights online, um, like on YouTube, but you know, not much. 
Yeah. Will you pick up the language at this point? No. Little words here. I mean, I can understand what they're saying, but it wasn't like I, like I could fully understand. I couldn't speak it. Like, you know, I know some uh, Spanish. Like, I grew up in Queens. A lot of my friends are Hispanic. Uh, you know, I understand it. Like, like if I hear two people talking, I could pretty much understand, like, get the gist of what they're saying, but not word for word, and I can't speak it. How were they transporting you guys all together to these different events? Uh, I'm pretty much. I mean, at first, like two vans, and then once the tournament dwindled down, you know, they started flying people back home. Okay. Okay. So with the Alejandro Roman, how's that fight end up? Oh, it's tiring. It's five rounds in Mexico City, basically, which is like 10,000 feet above sea level. Super tiring. Yeah. But I beat the shit out of him. Yeah, I beat, I beat the ever-living crap out of him. They weren't mm-hmm. going to let him, like... They let him go out on his shield, basically. Wow. Wow. So, he was, so in, in theory, low both eyes, he was caught. He was, he was, we were bloody, he was a bloody mess when I was done. Huh. So, in theory, you're supposed to win a hundred grand. When yeah, did you have the, in, when did you kind of figure out it wasn't going to happen? I mean, they were stringing me along, stringing me along. And then I just realized, all right, I'm not going to pay. Like, you know, by the second week, I'm like, all right. You know, at first, they were like, yo, it's coming, it's coming. We have to do this and that. And why, you know, money coming from me. Okay, all right. You know, by the time two weeks was up, I'm like, all right. They're not fucking paying me. I was really upset, though. Oh, I mean, you're talking... I mean, that's, that's you, huge. Were, were, you wait, were you waiting at home in Florida, Long Island, or were you in Mexico still? I was with my now wife. She was living in Florida, so I was like, I was back yeah. and forth from New York and Florida. Yeah, once you left Mexico without the money, that's, yeah. Yeah, I was never going to get it. And, you know, and, and there's not if there's not management down there that you could be like, hey, you know, I'd like to complain or check, you know, uh, you, you, can't, you can't ask too many questions. No, they'd laugh at you. Yeah. It, it, that, but, that would be nice. You know, it's like... But you know, a lot of times... A lot of times it's hooked in with, like, the tourism board and they get, like, an allotment to, you know, bring tourists or whatever, you know, notice to, you know, certain cities. And, um, you know, they end up pocketing it. Yeah, you know, having lived in that country for a few years, I've seen plenty of that. It was on TV for four months, too, the whole fucking series. Uh, oh, man. Did you get to know any of the guys on the other team real well? Yeah, everyone was nice, man. Everyone was really, everyone was great, super nice. Huh. Nothing shady with the promoters, other than the end. No, at the end, of course. I mean, like the whole thing was crazy, man. Being down there was fucking nuts. Wow, wow. How were the Indians and stuff? I mean, it's like. 
Is are you cutting a lot of weight to make? Were you making one fifty five every week here, or did? Yeah, I made fifty five every week. Okay. So that's a yeah, chore. Seventies and cutting back down, getting back up, coming back. It was exhausting. My body was. By the time I was, I came home, I was exhausted. Dude. Yeah, it's a lot. That's a lot. You know, and the travel too. Yeah, it was. It was horrible. So <laughs> you, you uh, wind up. So Jared, your next fight, October 26, 2013, CFFC at 155 pounds. Johnson Judge out. And the interesting thing about this is he's a member of Bomb Squad. So there's a little bit of history there between you guys. I didn't even know that. He actually, when I fought him, he was training at uh, some other gym in Philly. Brazen. Okay. Yeah, you're probably, I mean, obviously you're right. Yeah, he was training with Paul Felder. And I only knew that because Paul left that team, started training at Daniel Gracie's. And me and him, me and him became friends because now we had the same manager. Rob Haydeck was kind of like managing us both. Um, Whatever. So Paul had given me the lowdown on Johnson, like what to expect and stuff. Yeah, I won that fight by decision. It was a good fight. Yeah, and you're at 55 as well. So, you I mean, you're steady weight, sober. But then you take 14 months off. Did you get hurt? Yeah, I, I, I had to have shoulder surgery. Were you worried about the pain pills and stuff? Um, so I wasn't going to meetings or anything like that. I wasn't doing anything to help myself stay sober. And I remember when I was told I need to have shoulder surgery, I was excited. I was like, oh, yes, I could take pain pills and no one can say anything to me. So I had reservations. Um, I had the surgery. I remember they gave me the fentanyl in the room, like in the prep room before I went in. And I remember I was like, oh, yes. And then they gave me the pills to go home with, took them as prescribed because, you know, my parents and my girl were watching me. Uh, But then, like, you know, it woke up the beast and I started smoking dust. Started smoking angel dust. Loved it. And that's really insane. I was up, I would go to the Bronx and my friend Kevin, who I met at that, at that long-term program. And I was hanging out with my boy, Kevin's dead now. I was hanging out with my boy, Mike, who also was at that program on 187th and Jerome Ave or 183rd and Jerome in the, you know, in the ghetto. Uh, And Mike would get us dust. And then eventually, you know, I went back to heroin and crack, shooting crack and heroin with Mike and Kevin. And the fuck happened after that? <laughs> oh, I went away again eventually. And then I was sober for another. You're blacking your mic a little bit with your hand. Oh, sorry. Yeah, you can turn your phone on the side if it's easier. Okay. 
I, uh, wait a minute. I think I, when I, after I fought Jude, I had a couple more before I. Well, you had, you, you had a canceled bout against Jonathan Del Brugge. Jonathan Del Brugge, yeah, he pulled out of the fight. Okay. That was the only thing I could find between then, October 26th. Yo, what was the next fight after that? Uh, you got Corey Bleakin. Corey, Ble- Corey Bleakin, right. He's at okay, an AMA so. Fight Club. Charlie Brennan in. Uh, Brennerman yeah. is there. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so after I fought Jujut and then I fought Corey. I was still sober. And then after Corey was um, Jay Coleman. Jay Coleman. Out of Marcelo Oliveira's school. Yeah, I finished him in the first round. Well, let's talk about how significant that was because he's 8 0. You're, you know, like, uh, oh no, you're 8 0. He's 7 and 4. And like, he's he's got a lot of hype behind him. Yeah. yeah he was I mean, you went through him in the first show. round. You knocked him out. Yeah. Um, it was kind of an accident, actually. He went to shoot in for a takedown, and I was, like, stepping forward for, like, a body kick. Like, I stepped through to, to throw a body kick, and he shot. And, like, as I brought my knee up, I need him in the face. It was a complete accident. <laughs> I didn't mean to – I meant to kick him. I didn't mean to knee him. But I hurt him, though, with it. And then I got on top of him, and I pounded him out, and, and they stopped the fight. <laughs> I'm confused, yeah. man. I remember. I went to rehab. I forget when I went to rehab. Uh, and then had these fights. I forget the order of events, but that's kind of how it went. And at this um, point, I mean, you, you've you got 8-0, 9-0 after this fight. Yeah. You're knocking on the UFC door. You have to understand that. Oh, yeah, I think that, yeah. And then they put me against uh, Jeff Lentz. Jeff Lentz, the CFFC title, May yeah. 9th, 2015. Jeff Lentz is an absolute stud. Yeah, he was he – was, uh, he was like well known then. He was good. He was on the Ultimate Fighter. Kurt Pellegrino student. Fights. Yeah, Kurt Pellegrino. Fuck, that guy's an asshole. Uh, and then that guy's so Pellegrino. Here you lose to Jeff Lentz, Doctor Stoppage in the third round. Yeah, so I was winning the fight. But I got a knee. I, I shot in, and he kind of stuffed it in through a knee, and it just landed perfectly right on my eye, and broke my medial, my medial orbital and my orbital floor. And I had to fucking have surgery. So I go to Atlanta. I forgot what it was called some hospital in Atlantic City, a really good hospital. <clears throat> uh, I had to have surgery that Monday, so I stayed in the hospital, had surgery. I was in the head trauma unit for like five days or something. So I was winning the fight. I was 9-0. Apparently I was going to get a UFC contract after that win. I 
is going to be the CFFC champion, get a contract. I'm on top of the world. I get need. I'm in the hospital. Doctors telling me they think I'm blind because I took x-rays and the nerve of my eye was sitting between the fractures. So they're like, you know, when we see this, like a lot of, most of the time there's uh damage and you're like, could be partially blind or fully blind. But we won't know until you're, we open your eye. So I'm like, well, fucking open it. So they're like, All right, we're going to have to give you a shot of morphine. My parents are bedside with me. They're crying. He's a recovering addict. The doctors are like, well, it doesn't really matter right now because he needs to have emergency, emergency surgery. And we need to bring his pain levels down in order for him for the muscles in his face to relax, to perform surgery and to get some swelling down before we go in there because we can't do surgery unless, you know, the muscles like, re- you know, release and calm down. <laughs> so they're like, all right, give it to him. So I remember they gave me the morphine and that warm blanket came over me. I remember thinking I'm fucked. Damn. Uh, you know, all that, like I'm about to win, go to UFC to now you're never fighting again and you might be blind. And here's the shot of morphine. <laughs> yeah, here. This will start the race for you, right? Yeah, exactly. So I remember feeling that morphine hit me. It took two doctors to open my eye, one on my upper eyelid and one on my lower. And they were, like, digging. They were digging. Because, you know, my eye was so swollen that, like, the eyelids were, like, inverted, you know? And they opened it up, and they were, like, I was, like, I can see. And they were like, all right, move your eye up to the right, straight up to the left, you know, in all directions. Yeah, I can do it. Okay, great sign. Very surprising. You're lucky. Okay. Had to have surgery. They put a a metal plate. I have a plate that sits in my face like this. Sits like that. So on the side of my eye and under my eye, it's like an L-shaped plate. And six weeks later, I relapsed on heroin. Oh. I remember I was like, all right, I'm not going to get high. I'm not going to get high. You know, they gave me a prescription to go home with. I took that. And then like six weeks later, it was like the middle of summer in Queens, New York. It was like 99 degrees. And I remember just my parents went away for the weekend and I was in the house alone. My eye was still a mess. I had double vision for like five months after that. Um, and I'm like, what am I going to do? And I could hear like the AC unit, like making noise, like clink, clink, clink. It was like super hot, super, super. I remember like you, knew, you couldn't even go outside without like sweating, you know? And, you know, I was just like, I was sitting in silence and I was like, fuck it, I'm going to get hot. And I called guy i always called and answered the phone and that was i went nuts and then i was supposed to fight andy main oh no wait a minute i was supposed to fight uh i forget who i was supposed to fight someone hey you hit a bunch you like at a ward you hit a whole bunch of cancer oh, right. yeah i was supposed to fight bill aljo after that I canceled the fight. 
Well, yeah, the reason the reason you were supposed to fight Bill Aljo is because Bill Aljo beat Jeff Lentz. Right. So they were give trying me, to give me the rematch. Give you the rematch. Yeah. And yeah, you obviously take, you take a year off. You get Anthony Morrison, cheesesteak, Anthony Morrison out of Dennis fight camps. Well, just real quick. So I went nuts. Like, okay. I was fucking shooting coke and heroin all day, every day. Oh. Dude, you're trying really to kill about, yourself, man. I didn't really care about heroin anymore. I just did it because I was addicted to it, and I would be sick if I didn't. But I really, like, my drug of choice became shooting coke. And uh, best feeling ever, unfortunately. But I started having seizures. Like, if, if, I, if I didn't have a seizure, I thought I wasted my shot. Like, if I didn't shoot enough coke to have a seizure, I thought, fuck, I didn't do enough. And like that's how crazy it was getting. Well, I, I think your your pal with Bill Algio was it canceled because you were maybe a little dope sick in the so morning. I was in the bathtub cutting weight that weekend of the fight, or that week of the fight, and Rob Haydeck and Jason Strout, my coach, are with me at the tub, and Jason goes, "The fuck's on your arms?" And he sees all the track marks on my arms. And they were like, yeah, we can't let him fight like this. So they canceled the fight. Oh, it was embarrassing, huh? Yeah, I didn't really give a fuck. Yeah, you know, <laughs> if, if I could ask you, is it really that not giving a fuck is obviously very powerful. But, it, you know, at this point, you've won a lot of fights. You know, the CFFC is, is a feeder show. And that's the, that's the thing is you had to have heard around the fight game, what Mike said, that you, hey, you got it. You got a little bit of talent. You, you could do things. Yeah. You know, how are you, how are you, are you, are you letting some of those people down now in, in retrospect or not really not giving a fuck? What, what, how do you handle that? Because it seems like people gave you chances too. Yeah, I definitely let a bunch of people down, made, you know, disappointed, some people disappointed in myself. It was sad, man. It was, it was a sad time in my life. It was fucked up. You know, it's a bad time. Sure, yeah. Yeah. Well, I, I will tell you, the guy that does our times, Genghis Conrad is his name. He was over at Henzo's, and he was saying, behind that guy's back, he'd leave the room, and they were saying, he's going somewhere. Like, that guy's special. Like, never to your face, always behind your back. He said that whole gym was going, man, that guy's a real deal. Like he's he's gonna be special. Who is this? I one of the dude. He probably took five or six classes while you were at the gym. Yeah. Okay. Cool. Yeah. Yeah. So Anthony Cheesesteak Morrison knockout first round. Uh, head That's kick July. Head kick knockout. Yeah. Yeah. Quick turnaround. August sixth. You're staying busy. That's a good sign. You know, it doesn't give you a, a lot of. Free time, um, Dewad Pickney. Mm-hmm. Rear naked choke. Uh, with the rear naked choke, but uh, you know he knocked out Jordan Steiner. Or yeah, he, he was with the Jordan Steiner. And did you guys ever spar you and Dewad or no? No. Okay. Yeah, I think Jordan. 
together. Jordan stayed. Right. Okay. Jordan turned together a couple times. And he, you know, um, you know, he knocked him out. Yeah. So kind of like a kind of like a revenge match. And right. then you wind up with Bill Algio. Um, he's current on the UFC roster, Team Titan, Senor Perfecto. You know, it's finally your moment to get the belt. Yeah, yeah, me and Bill, that was a he didn't he fucking really tried to get in my head. It was good. Made funny videos, all sorts of shit. But I beat his ass. Yeah, uh, yeah, he's he's a very talented guy in his own right. I mean, that yeah. is a, a world class fight for any organization to pick up. Both you guys are in the UFC right now. Um, you know, I think that's, this was yeah, I was just the thinking, second time. Let's see FC sixty three. So you've been with them since six now. So that's a lot of maturing for an organization, right? Um, was this built for you? As hey, you win this during the UFC. Well, it was on the Dana White looking for a fight show. Oh, okay, yeah. We, so that's we were, okay. We were at the main event, so they they uh they were there to look at us. But shit, oh, they okay. took both of you guys. That's what kind of show they put on. Yeah. Cool, cool. Good, uh, good night. Well, what was it like getting your UFC contract? Uh, it wasn't really that exciting. I was happy, but they were like, they made me seem like a fucking jerk off on the show. Because Dan was like, you want to do this? And I was like, uh, yeah. And he was like, are you sure? And I was like, yeah, like. I got nothing else to do. Uh, <laughs> he was like on the show, like, and it was like, you know, he didn't really have much of a much of a uh, personality, but you know, you don't need a personality to fight. Meanwhile, you don't even fucking know me. Um, what did, what did you want me to do? Suck your dick for ten and ten? You know? Did you want me to fucking get on my knees and fucking? Cry for ten thousand and ten thousand. If I lose, I get ten thousand. Pay my managers, pay my taxes. I have like four thousand dollars left. So you, what did you want me to do? Jump up and down? I knew I that I could fight in the UFC and and I belong there. So yeah, give me my fucking contract. And you know, if you were giving me a million dollars in cash, then I would fucking be happy. So like it was funny. Like he was like, you know, he had no no personality. But, you know, you don't need a personality to fight. So, but like, it's just funny to me how, like, people are like, yeah, Dana said you had no personality. I'm like, well, what did you want me to do? Like, you want me to fucking... Uh, and then the next weekend, they did a show in San Diego, another Dana White looking for a fight show. And the kid that they signed was literally, like, crying on, on fucking... And I was just like, this fucking faggot's crying. Excuse my language. This fucking kid is crying. Cause you got signed to UFC for ten, for ten and ten. Fuck, give me a fucking break. I can go fucking. I can literally fucking sell dime bags of weed and make that same amount of money in a week. Fucking give me. Don't give me fucking. It pissed me off because it's like, I'm a fucking realist. Like, I can fucking go work at fucking McDonald's and make more same amount of money that some guys in UFC make. Let's be honest. 
and I'm not saying that UFC didn't change my life because it did, and now I I really make a living now. But at the time, it was like, yeah, I'm excited, but like, what do you want to do, Dana? Cry on your shoulder? So, so yeah, I've been holding that in for a while. <laughs> you, you know, like like in my concern, like when I when I watched the episode, my concern was. You got a guy battling addiction and, you know, alcohol wasn't enough. Coke wasn't enough. Pills weren't enough. Heroin wasn't enough. Angel dust wasn't enough. Like, you know, you're the guy that's always got his, his foot on a gas pedal. And like Ian Heinich, we said, hey, man, you know, you did a few years in prison. You finally got your hand raised. Was it a relief? Nah, nah, I didn't really care. It's just like, you know, at some Gosh. point you're going to have to sit back and understand like what you're doing, not only is special, but you've got to almost uh, accept it as special I mean, because. No, fighting is like a special thing and, and it's great and I love it and it's my passion, but it's not what it doesn't give me fulfillment. This will never fighting will never give me fulfillment ever. As a matter of fact, when I win a fight, I'm fucking, pissed off in three days all right i need to do this again in order to get that glory that feeling back and it's like you win and you're like all right now what but you know helping people doing things like that is what gives me fulfillment when i do something that like genuinely positively affects someone then i can feel happy for a long period of time but fighting is just a thing, man. It's just a thing that I get to do. I love it. It's my passion. But it does not and will never, ever give me long-term happiness. And if I put all my... If I put everything into fighting, like, once it's finally gone, I got nothing. Like, you know, like it's like having a car, like... If you put all your like, it's like buying new pair of sneakers. Like, they're gonna get dirty in a couple in like a week. So quit acting like it's the fucking end all. I'm gonna have to do something else after this is over. So like, this is temporary, and it's just a thing. No one gives a fuck about my fights. No one cares about fucking Conor McGregor fights. There's all this hype for you know, five, six weeks, whatever. And then he fights and no one gives a fuck anymore. No one gives a fuck about Conor McGregor. You know what I'm saying? I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong. <laughs> no, no. It, it, you know, it's a, it's an up and it, it's it's a high. Everybody describes it as a high. And That's it. As, as you know, they go away. You know what I mean? And then you do almost yeah, find yourself chasing what you, what the past. You know, Chris describes it that way. As a high, we've had hey, Mark crash. Coleman said it's better in sex, you know. So yeah, you're you're in very familiar territory. It's very similar. Yeah, for sure. Now, Jared, I mean, you had a role in the UFC. We just completed your pre-UFC. I, and you know, the thing that I know this might not come across well, but like to be a true veteran of the sport, there's certain benchmarks you have to hit. And getting ripped off by a promoter is one of them. <laughs> I mean, it's, it sucks, but like you're like you don't have fifty fights, but fifty fight club members all have that in their background. Yeah, that's true. <laughs> yeah. 
So you're in St. Louis. You're cornering your teammate in, Bellat- in Bellator. W- w- who are you cornering? Uh, Adam Borix, Kazakhstan. That's good. So, man, Jared, sincerely appreciate it, man. I mean, it's yeah. just like you're I, – I, I have a feeling that there's many chapters left in your story, and they're yet to be written. Thanks, guys. I appreciate it. Seriously. It was a pleasure. Yeah. Stay, stay focused, kid, because, you know, you do have talent. That what you, you know, people go on maybe to overcome what you've overcome and live a happy life, but to perform as a peak level athlete, that's something special. And, you know, like you said, it won't fill you for the rest of your life and stuff, but it could be a good springboard for some real good things for you in the future, too. So I wish you a lot of luck, man. Get And I'm looking forward to the second half of the interview, man. I love this. I love the sport and it's given me everything that I have right now. Uh, and it's my passion. It's where I make a living. And, you know, I'm forever indebted to MMA. I love it. Uh, but, you know, like I said, it's just not the end all. So uh, well, they, there's nothing sadder than watching somebody 20 years out of the sport. All they do is on their social media is post them fighting, post themselves fighting. It's like that is your springboard onto something else. And it's like they just keep getting caught jumping up and down on it. Yeah, rather than going somewhere else. You you at least have that forethought and understanding. Yeah. Well, thank, thank the Lord. Yeah. yeah. You know, a lot of experience led to it, man. Thank you very much for being here. Hey, so hey Jared, what's your sobriety date? December 27, 2015. Holy shit. Yeah. A little over six years, six years and two months or something like that. Man, you're lucky to be on this side of the grass, bro. Ooh, tell me about it. How much time do you have? Uh, dude, I got sober at 18, man. Oh, shit. Good for you. Yeah, yeah. it was fucking same situation that you were in. Like, yeah, like, childhood uh, bullshit. Same like stuff. Ten, you got like 10 years sober. That was What's a, it? That was a compliment. I said you got like 10 years sober. Dude, dude I'm old and crusty as fuck, bro. I'm almost <laughs> 30 years sober, man. <laughs> Hey, dude, let me tell you something, man. I got a kid coming, too. I don't know what the fuck I'm going to do. That's, that's my situation. Good luck to you. Yeah. So, I, got, thanks, I, got six, I got six years from New Year's, and, and I remember actually, you know, things in common. There was one time that they scraped me <coughs> off of the friggin' Hollywood uh, in uh, casino in Florida, the, that, the, that Hard Rock Cafe. I got carried out of there one time by my Finnish friends. So, yeah. <laughs> anyway, brother, a lot of memories and, and very glad to see somebody come out on the other side. Thank you very much for the time, man. No problem. Thank you. Guys. Thanks, Jared. Be good. So, Mike, Jared Gordon in the books. Another one of those walks on the wild side. huh? <laughs> well, occasionally we have to have those. You know, you get a guy that's brutally honest about his past, his ups, his downs. Um, it, it endears him to the fans. And yeah, I think we kind of owe it to our audience to kind of highlight somebody like that that's currently fighting, like the Ian Heiniches, the Eric Anders, you know, Jared Gordon. Those three guys, when you see them fight, they're our people, man. They have trials, tribulations, ups and downs. They've kind of experienced everything. So yeah, I, I, I like to make sure those people have a voice on our program. Yeah, I always like to hear the New York accent. And, you know, he had roots with uh 
Arias Garcia and this uh, CFFC up in the Northeast, which uh, is a show that's dear to my heart. I always watch out for their news and stuff like that. And they've put a lot of people in the UFC, including Jared Gordon. So uh, yes. Gordon, I'm going to fight winning streak too due to fight here in April. So keep your eyes out. Yeah, Arias helped me a lot with the information as well. There was like three people from that area that I talked to. to. Arias really helped me with the CFFC stuff. They're on Fight Pass. Highly suggest you guys check them out. Any organization that's you know pushing it as hard as they are, um, you know, deserves a little attention from everybody. Um, once again, I'd like to also thank a few of our, our listeners. Um, Vegan Higgler is very active in our comments on, on YouTube. My brother Jimmy is helping us track people down, like Jared Gordon. You know, he kind of forced Jared on us um, because his story is so intriguing. And, you know, Fred Hammer is coming up with T-shirts for us. And, um, you know, we're going to be sending them out to people that help our show grow. We're not selling these. These are only going to be given away to people that help this show grow, whether through comments or sharing. So, um, yeah, those people have gone above and beyond for us. Jared Gordon in the books. Check out the full interview on iTunes, Spotify, and all major podcast platforms.